Good morning. I open this morning with words from Jalaluddin Rumi, the Persian poet, Islamic scholar, and Sufi mystic from the 13th century. This being human is a guest house. Every morning is a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. She may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door, laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I invite you now to join in singing our opening song as Cynthia Marie will lead us, and words are projected on the screen behind me. So, because today is um, a lot of um, reflection and meditation, I was wondering if you would start with me on a drone sound. So can everyone just go, ooh, and keep it going. We're going to keep it going through this song. I'm just kind of do it freestyle. can echo the lyrics back to me. Maybe every day, maybe every day, we could find a new way, we could find a new way, we could hear the voices. Go back to echoes. Mm -hmm. 
Good morning. Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Karen Schofield Leka, and I am so glad that you are here this morning. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag that helps us to know that you are just joining us, or maybe you've been with us a few times before, so that we can give you an extra warm welcome. We love talking about this community and how we find, have each found it special and are curious to hear from you about what it is that you're looking for amongst us. We hope that you'll join us after the platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and the social hall just opposite and um, have a chance to chat and get to know each other better. We also ask that if you consider filling in this gold slip that you find in your program, you can share your email with us and that way we can add you to our mailing list so that you can hear uh, weekly about upcoming activities and we invite visitors and guests to join us at everything we do. I want to remind you to please silence your electronic devices, but while you have it out, please go ahead and check in via social media and let your friends know that you're here. And then otherwise, we can all be really present this morning without the distraction of beeps and tweaks, etc. This morning, I'm inviting Michelle Kaufman to come forward and read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared value in each other's voices. Michelle? Hi. I've been a member for almost 20 years, and I am doing this um, in honor of... Um, John and Donna Taylor, who were the first people to kind of welcome me into this community and help me find my niche here, and obviously it took. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationship to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. And we invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Michelle. And as Michelle lights our community candle, I invite everyone to join me in our candle lighting words, which you see here on the screen. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a better future for all. Each Sunday morning, we ring this bell in solidarity with people around the world. This week, I invite you to especially remember the 800,000 young immigrants caught in the turmoil surrounding DACA, the survivors from Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, and the people of St. Louis in the aftermath of the acquittal of Officer Stockley for the killing of Anthony Lamar Smith. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. This morning, we are trying a different way of being together just for this Sunday, something we've done before, and so I want to invite you into this slightly altered format. Instead of our usual meditation and music followed by an address and a little more music, we're going to weave those elements together as we explore our monthly theme of welcome from and inspired by the Buddhist tradition. So this morning I'll offer a brief reflection and then Karen or I will offer a meditation and then we'll have silence and music from Cynthia Marie and then we'll do that again and again a third time. 
weaving back and forth between meditation and reflection, silence and music. So I want to invite you to settle into your seat, to be present for this time as we go back and forth between these different forms as much as you can be. As I thought about this Sunday, uh, my attention was drawn both by congregants who sent me the article by email and seeing it pop up on my Facebook feed, an article, an op-ed actually in the Washington Post that was published a few weeks ago in late August. It was um, written by Thomas Joyner, a professor of psychology at Florida State University, and the author of the book, Mindlessness, (laughs) the Corruption of Mindfulness in a Culture of Narcissism. I found the op-ed to be actually a little grumpy, (laughs) but also thoughtful. One can be both at the same time, I'm glad to tell you, since I often inhabit grumpiness myself. (laughs) The article or the op-ed looked at different studies that promise mindfulness as a kind of cure-all, able to fix any problem that we face in our own lives. And Joyner, in his um, op-ed piece, charged that we in American culture use mindfulness within the framework of a basically narcissistic society as yet another way to navel-gaze, to focus on the positive to the exclusion of the negative, to become even more self-centered. My first thought on reading this, once I got over the grumpiness, was perfect an excuse for why I don't sit in silent meditation two hours every day. I was looking for a reason, and now I can cite this article and feel better about myself. But then I thought, yes, I see his points, and yes, mindfulness can become that, a navel-gazing self-centeredness. But that is not the intention of mindfulness, and it needn't be practiced in that way. Indeed, for centuries and millennia, it has not been practiced in that way. And so instead, I see his words as an invitation to a return to mindfulness's goals. And I wanted to think with you today and practice with you today some other ways to imagine and approach mindfulness, how we can incorporate it into our own lives and avoid simply navel-gazing, but instead use it as a way to connect us even more deeply to those around us. We are looking at the theme of welcome this month. And so I think about the idea of mindfulness as a way to welcome us to the present moment. Sometimes we imagine mindfulness to be an escape from reality, but actually it is the opposite of escape. Now, I don't mean to suggest that escape is wrong. Every once in a while, sticking your head in the sand is a perfectly adequate coping technique. I find my own escape and fantasy fiction. I love it. It's relaxing. It gets me away from my problems. But it is not mindfulness. Or as the Zen teacher Shunyu Suzuki said, sleep is good, 
but sleep is not zazen. Mindfulness is indeed the opposite of escape. It is a being present, fully present to everything within us and around us. And so as we think about the theme of welcome, how we welcome people into this community, how we ourselves have felt welcome, I wonder too about the welcome that we offer the world around us. How often do we pause to welcome in all that surrounds us? We will begin our experiential time together in a moment with a meditation that Karen will share, one that invites us to be fully present in this time. Often when we practice sitting meditation, particularly if it's new to us on a Sunday morning, for instance, as we sit in silence together, I will hear concerns from folks about the sound of the children outside or the of the fans if they're going, it's too hot or too cold. Mindfulness invites us to not be distracted by those, but instead to find those sensations a full part of our experience, to bring them, to center them into our practice. Ajahn Chah, a Thai Buddhist teacher who worked in the forest tradition, practiced in the forest tradition, used this analogy. This is a little uh, reflection called freeway. It is wrong view, he wrote, to go on thinking that we are the sankharas or that we are happiness and unhappiness. Seeing like this is not full, clear knowledge of the true nature of things. The truth is that we can't force things to follow our desires. They follow the way of nature. A simple comparison, he said, is this. Suppose you go and sit in the middle of a freeway with the cars and trucks speeding down toward you. You can't get angry at the cars shouting, don't drive over here, don't drive over here. It's a freeway. You can't tell them that. So what can you do? You get off the road. The road is the place where cars run. If you don't want the cars to be there, you suffer. It's the same with sankharas. We say they disturb us, like we, when we sit in meditation and hear a sound. We think, oh, that sounds bothering me. If we understand that the sound bothers us, then we suffer accordingly. If we investigate a little deeper, we will see that it's we who go out and disturb the sound. The sound is simply sound. If we understand it in this way, then there's nothing more to it. We leave it be. We see that the sound is one thing and we are another. This is real knowledge of truth. You see both sides, so you have peace. If you see only one side, there is suffering. Once you see both sides, then you follow the middle way. I invite you into this time of meditation as Karen leads us to look for the middle way as we awaken our senses and welcome all that is present around us.
For the next few moments, we're going to bring awareness to our five senses. Just briefly, surveying, noticing what in the present moment is being activated through each of our senses. So I encourage you to close your eyes at this point if that's comfortable for you and feel the connection of your feet on the ground. Feel the sensation of your clothing in contact with your body, the feel of the air on your skin, the warmth in the root. Bring awareness to the top of your head and slowly move that awareness down throughout your whole body, each limb, each muscle. Notice what's there, using the physical body as a way to invite the mind into the present. Watch the rhythm of your breath. Don't try and force or change it. Just let yourself be right where you are and breathe. Now, gently open your eyes. Focus on something here in the room. Look for texture or color or movement, anything interesting. And notice all the small details you never saw before. And if you're mind intervenes and thoughts come in, simply move your attention to another object. Now close your eyes and see if you can visualize what you saw as clearly as you can in your mind. 
Begin to notice all of the sounds around you. Don't judge them, just notice them. Sounds might be internal, like breathing or digestion. They might be close by or more distant, like traffic. Even silence has a sound, a resonance. Instead of using selective hearing and focusing on one sound, soften your ears and allow yourself to absorb all the sounds around you. Take a sniff. Notice scent in the air, the fragrances surrounding you. Without needing to identify them, and without needing to label them as pleasant or unpleasant, be guided by your nose. Now, run your tongue over your teeth and cheeks to help you become more aware of taste. You may notice an aftertaste of a previous drink or meal, a hint of toothpaste, perhaps coffee or tea. Or what does nothing really taste like you can just notice your tongue and your mouth, your saliva and your breath as you exhale. Notice how you respond to things you sense. And where do you notice that response in your body? Which of these senses made you feel most connected? Which felt the most intimate? Which brought you back to yourself? Breathe full and deeply. Acknowledge this remarkable body that allows us to see, to hear, to smell, to taste, 
to touch each moment and ultimately reacquaint us with ourselves. These are your senses and joy. Just as we welcome all that is around us, all that our senses experience in the present moment, so too are we called to welcome the things we would rather not. As we sit in the midst of pain or sorrow in our own lives, or as we engage with the world around us, the sadness, the tragedy, the injustice, we find that we are asked to bring our awareness to those as well. Sometimes our experiences might be relatively minor. In her book, Radical Acceptance, Embracing Your Life with the Heart of the Buddha, Tara Brock tells about being at a retreat where she was grouchy. The weather was bad. The teachers were boring. As she writes, the other meditators inconsiderately sneezing in my direction. <laughs> As she tried to be in this space, annoyed with all that was happening around her, she attempted a shift 
At first, forced. She began saying yes to everything. Yes to the bad weather and clouds. Yes to the sneezing other meditators. Yes to the sinus infection starting to take hold in her own head. At first, she found that to be a difficult thing to do, to feel unreal, not a true yes, as she welcomed those things in. But eventually, as she continued her practice during that retreat of saying yes to all that irritated her, the yes became a true welcome. She writes, the dark cloud of no was replaced by the expansive sky of a yes that had endless room for grouchiness and irritation. I felt the inner freedom that comes from agreeing unconditionally to life. Now this kind of yes, this sort of welcome, is not the positive thinking we sometimes see in popular psychology tools. It's not a pretending that everything is good, that we really like the bad weather and the sneezing meditators around us. Instead, it's an awareness of the reality of all that encircles us. Ajahn Chah, that Thai Buddhist who shared the story about the freeway, has another one he calls garbage pit. If your mind becomes quiet and concentrated, he writes, it is an important tool to use. But if you're sitting just to get concentrated so you can feel happy and pleasant, then you're wasting your time. The practice is to sit and let your mind become still and concentrated, and then to use that to examine the nature of the mind and body, to see more clearly. Otherwise, if you make the mind simply quiet, then for that time it's peaceful and there's no defilement. But this is like taking a stone and covering up a smelly garbage pit. When you take the stone away, it's still full of smelly garbage. You must use your concentration not to temporarily bliss out, but to accurately examine the nature of the mind and body. This is what actually frees you. Sometimes our experiences of pain go much deeper than grouchiness and bad weather and sneezing, deeper than a stinky garbage pit metaphor. Sometimes we have in our own lives experiences of deep fear or grief and loss. Or perhaps we are aware of the tragedies and injustice around us, the fear and grief and loss held by others we care for or in the larger world. Mindfulness can help us to see how our experiences are related to others and help us to understand how all other experiences are ours as well. This idea of being in deep, connected community with those who are in pain is actually a core of ethical culture, of humanism. The idea that your pain is my pain, a shared pain together. Tara Brock 
writes about a mother who was filled with anxiety whenever she left her child after the attacks of September 11th. She found that it was difficult to travel for work because she was constantly worried about her child in her absence, even though there was no immediate threat to her child at that time. The mother began a practice of mindfulness where she brought into her mind all the other parents who might be feeling that fear for different reasons. She told Brock, when I imagine all the other mothers around the world who cherish their children and right now are fearing for their lives, my heart feels different. The fear is still there, but even more profound is a feeling of shared grief and compassion. We are facing together the possibility of immeasurable loss. I'd like to invite you into a meditation practice called Tonglen Meditation. It invites us to sit fully with our pain and suffering and to connect it to the suffering and pain of others. Breathing in a sense of that shared suffering, transforming it, and breathing out our compassion. So I invite you to settle into your seat again. Close your eyes if you would like or focus on the floor in front of you. Allow your breathing to be natural, deep and full. Bring to mind some way in which you are suffering. It could be a physical pain you feel now. It could be an anxiety or worry. It could be a conflict in which you are involved. Breathe for a moment and settle in to that experience of suffering or pain. As you breathe in, breathe in that suffering. And as you breathe out, breathe out compassion for yourself. In suffering and out compassion and care. Now, as you breathe in that suffering, begin to reach out to all others who suffer in that same way. People you know and do not know around this city or this world. As you breathe in, take in their suffering with your own, an awareness of shared pain. And as you breathe out, breathe your compassion to yourself and to them. May they be released from suffering. May you be well.
continue for a moment breathing in that shared suffering and breathing out compassion and care.
in addition to welcoming the reality, the senses, and present moment we find ourselves in, we also have an opportunity to welcome in all that we are. Tara Brock's radical acceptance speaks about the deep sense of unworthiness that so many of us carry within us. She writes, convinced that we are not good enough, we can never relax. We stay on guard, monitoring ourselves for shortcomings. When we inevitably find them, we feel even more insecure and undeserving. We have to try even harder. The irony of all of this is, where do we think we are going anyway? One meditation student told me he felt as if he were steamrolling through his days, driven by the feeling that he needed to do more. In a wistful tone, he added, I'm skimming over life and racing to the finish line, death. Although, to some extent, I think there is a universal human condition around our worry about our own worthiness, it is possible that our particular version of it is culture-specific. Tara tells the story of a meeting of the Dalai Lama with some of the psychologists and thinkers who were using Buddhism in their practice uh, from America. They met and the psychologists started talking about how um, key the concept of self-hatred was for many of their patients and how they worked um, against that. It became clear that the Dalai Lama didn't know what they were talking about. Self-hatred, he said, what's that? They tried some different words to explain it. And no, what came about was that within his own context, that was a more foreign concept than we might imagine. In fact, I wonder if it is not this deep sense of unworth that we hold in our culture that paradoxically makes our mindfulness too self-centered, as the post-op-ed writer suggested. We are constantly trying to make ourselves better, to be the best darn meditators out there, the most mindful people possible, rather than embracing the true nature of mindfulness, to be accepting and compassionate with all that we are. Brock writes, the renowned 7th century Zen master, Seng Tsan, taught that true freedom is being without anxiety about imperfection. Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> Without anxiety about imperfection. This isn't the same thing, Brock assures us, as condoning behaviors in ourselves or in others that we find harmful. Instead, it is about sitting with and accepting the full reality of ourselves, welcoming in without judgment all that we are, including the parts of ourselves we wish were different. Paradoxically, our ability to change our behavior is often dependent on this kind of self-acceptance. Our ability to be present and welcome in all that we are is in fact the foundation for making changes we might wish for in our lives. Brock teaches about two wings of radical acceptance, self-acceptance, clear seeing understanding ourselves truly as we are, and self-compassion, care for self. 
My Jewish colleagues this month are preparing for their high holy days, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. As you might know if you're familiar with that tradition, Yom Kippur is a day of um, looking deeply at one's year to think about all of the ways we have succeeded and the ways we have failed to live up to our expectations of ourselves, and then seeking forgiveness, a new start, a fresh beginning. As I was listening to some of my rabbi friends prepare their sermons, I thought how similar to the idea of clear seeing and self-compassion that Yom Kippur practice was. Seeing clearly and then forgiving so that we may begin again. Tara Brock's work uh, uses uh, a, um, a framework that she calls RAIN, R-A-I-N, which I like because that's easy to remember. R is to recognize what is happening. A is to allow life to be just as it is, clear seeing. I is to investigate one's inner experience, and then N is non-identification, to find that we are not that whole experience, instead to rest in our natural awareness. The idea of clear seeing and compassion, that is the foundation, I think, for being able to be fully present and welcoming in what we are to move forward in our time. And so I invite you into a final meditation this morning. Settle yourself in your seat. Take a breath again. Close your eyes if you like. Call to mind the past week. As you breathe, think about the ways in which you have felt good in this past week. Bring to mind, too, the times when you were disappointed with yourself, when things did not go as you had planned. Notice how that feels in your body. There may be a tightness, a hunching, a closing in. Just sit with that for a moment. As you allow yourself to notice these parts of yourself that are not your favorite, treat them as you would a small child. 
you might think to them, I see you there. Welcome. Allow them space inside yourself. As you continue to breathe in and out during silence and music, send a pat of welcome and compassion to those pieces of yourself. This is normally 